Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. Today, Archbishop Beach brings us a message entitled, Lord, Have Mercy. Here now is our speaker and teacher for A Word from the Lord, Archbishop Foley Beach. I come this day with a heavy heart for our nation, for our people, for our children, for our grandchildren, and people of faith. In the last three months, we've seen an unprecedented removal of ethical, moral, and spiritual foundations which have allowed this country to be blessed by God, to be civil, and to be successful. Hundreds of years before Jesus' birth in Jeremiah's time, the nation of Israel and Judah were having their problems. The people were neglecting God. They were abandoning his commandments. They were doing things which God considered abominable. They were bringing in other gods. They were ignoring the poor and the needy. Many had become wealthy and powerful. To use Jeremiah's words from Jeremiah 5, They have eyes but do not see. They don't reverence God. They have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside from God and followed their own ways. They have no fear of God. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not defend the rights of the poor or take care of orphans. And so the Lord says the following in Jeremiah 5, 29. He says, should I not punish them for this? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? My brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you that we are pushing the limits of the patience of God with our national sins. We cannot thumb our nose at God and his commandments and expect that all that will go well. We cannot publicly divorce God and continue to use his name on our money and our pledges and in our political rhetoric. It mocks him. And God cannot be mocked. When we violate his laws and principles of community living, then we will reap the consequences. His laws are meant for blessing us. His laws are meant for protecting us. On February 21st, 1781, 1781, kind of get that date in your head. Remember, 1776 is what we're celebrating. February 21st, 1781, Great Britain had declared that that day would be a day of prayer and fasting. Most likely it was in response to the American Revolution, which we remember here today, but also their continuing hostilities with the French. So on this day of prayer and fasting, the Anglican pastor John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, preached a sermon on this passage of Scripture Jeremiah 5, 29. Should I not punish them for this? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? And so what I'd like to do is share with you several of his comments, which I think will enlighten us about God and the affairs of nations. Should I not punish them for this? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Says the Lord. Newton writes, The form of the question will not permit us to confine the application to just Israel or Judah. The words are not on this nation particularly, but on such a nation as this. 
The Lord, the governor of the earth, has provided in the history of one nation a lesson of instruction and warning to every nation under the sun. And the nearer the state and spirit of any people resemble the state and character of Judah when Jeremiah prophesied among them, the more reason they have to tremble under the apprehension of the same or similar judgments. We likewise are a highly favored people and have long enjoyed privileges which excite the admiration and envy of surrounding nations. And we are a sinful, ungrateful people. So that when we compare the blessing and mercies we've received from the Lord with our conduct toward Him, it is to be feared we are no less concerned with the question in my text than Israel of old. Well, could this not be said of the United States of America today? The founders of our country wove God and the principles from the Bible into every aspect of our government and public discourse. Sure, not everyone were believers, but the spiritual and sociological principles of the Word of God were the foundation of what we had as a nation. I'm not making this up. The original documents don't lie. The words of our national songs don't lie. The engravings and the quotes on our buildings and monuments all over this country don't lie. Can you name one other country which has been blessed like the United States of America. There's a reason that it is difficult to get a visa, even to come visit here from many countries of the world. And because we had a public covenant with God, do we really think he's going to ignore our public divorce of him? I don't think so. Newton continues, Though the occasion will require me to take some notice of our public affairs, I mean not to amuse you with what is usually called political discourse. The Bible is my system of politics. And there I read the Lord reigns, that he doth what he pleaseth in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, that no wisdom, understanding, counsel, or power can prevail without his blessing. That as righteousness exalteth a nation, so sin is the reproach and will eventually totally be the ruin of any people. Now I hope we are now met together not to accuse others, but to confess our sins. Not to justify ourselves, but to plead for mercy. This must be our plea before God. To confess our sins. My sins. Your sins, not to justify ourselves and put the blame on other people, but to plead on the mercy of God. Again, Newton writes, the sin of a nation is properly the aggregate or sum total of all the sins committed by every individual residing in that nation. But those may be emphatically called national sins, which by their notoriety, frequency, or circumstances, Contribute to the mark and mark the character or spirit of one nation as distinct from another. It is to be hoped that some species of sins among us are not yet become national. I'm afraid that can't be said among us. Abortion is now a national sin. Over 55 million babies. Speaking falsehoods is now a national sin. Ignoring the plight of the poor is now a national sin. 
Having sex outside of marriage is now a national sin. Homosexual sex is now a national sin. Abandonment of one's children is now a national sin. Abandonment of one's father and mother is now a national sin. Ignoring the Sabbath day is now a national sin. The welcoming of other gods into our midst is now a national sin. Sex trafficking is now a national sin. And drug addiction, both legal and illegal, is now a national sin. It's to the point where just to mention these will label me a bigot, a hate monger, or a non-compassionate individual. Some of you right now are having a problem with me saying these things. But God's truth is God's truth. Now, I'll be the first to say that I am imperfect, I'm a sinful human being, and I'm not anything except because of the mercy and grace of God in Jesus Christ. But God's word is God's word. Jesus told the people of Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin that Sodom would have it better off than they would. Remember Matthew eleven twenty one. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago with sackcloth and ashes. Jesus continues, but I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, you are exalted to heaven, shall be brought down to hell for the mighty works which have been done in you. If they had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now, if Jesus said that to them, what must he be saying to us? By the way, we visited Capernaum and Chorazin on our recent trip to Israel. They're both a pile of rubble. Chorazin is still a pile of rubble. Capernaum, since it was Jesus' ministry headquarters and it has the house of Peter there, it's now been turned into a tourist attraction. And of course, we know that the remnants of Sodom were found under parts of the Dead Sea. God not only turned it into a pile of rubble, he covered it with salt and with water. Now, what makes us think that the United States is exempt Newton continues, communities as such in their collective capacity are visited and judged in the present life. And in this respect, the scripture considers nations as individuals, each having an infancy, growth, maturity, and declension. Every succeeding generation accumulates stock of national sin. And there is a measure of iniquity which determines the period of kingdoms. Till this measure is filled up, the patience of God waits for them. But then patience gives way to vengeance. Now when God is exceedingly displeased with a people, it's not necessary in order to their punishment that he should bury them alive by an earthquake or destroy them by lightning. If he only leave them to themselves, withdraw his blessing from their counsels and his restraint from their passions, there are ruins follows of course, according to the necessary order and connection of causes and effects. In other words, God just follows the pattern. 
seen all through Scripture, and especially in Romans chapter 1. In effect, he says, you don't want me around? Fine. I'll turn you over to your wants and your desires, and you will reap the benefits of your wants and desires. And God just simply withdraws his presence. This is the real wrath of God. As Malachi 1 says, he allows us to be a wicked land, and that wickedness will lead to self-destruction and then eventually being conquered by others because we can't conquer ourselves. This has been the case in every nation and civilization which has allowed what we now have established as normal life for our nation. The ruins are there. Go to Rome. Go to Greece. Go to Israel. Once beautiful civilizations with incredible culture and architecture and standards of living all came tumbling down. Do we really think that we'll be any different? So what are we to do? What are we to do? I would like to suggest the following. If you have your Bible, open to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's a chair Bible in front of you, and it's on page 1846. 1846. 1 Timothy chapter 2. The context of this letter to Timothy is that the Apostle Paul has started many churches all over the known world. And here he's writing to his disciple Timothy and giving him some instructions about the church. And I believe these are still very appropriate to the church life today as we begin to feel, and especially you and I begin to feel, the effects of living in a post-Christian culture when people ostracize us and malign us because of our, quote, narrow beliefs and outdated morals, unquote. Let's see, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He writes, I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. Now, out of this passage, there are three things that I want to call your attention to, and they're all centered around Paul's use of the words, all men or everybody. The first is this, as believers... We should remain diligent in prayer, and our prayers should concern everyone. We should remain diligent in prayer, and our prayers should concern everyone. Look back at verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and for those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Now, this is a house of prayer, and prayer should be made in this place for all people. He says, request, prayers, intercessions. Intercessions are petitions for others or for ourselves. Thanksgivings, they should be made for everyone. This is to be a place of prayer. 
And not just for our own needs or your own needs, but prayers for everyone. But Paul didn't stop there. He asked for prayers for kings, for those in authority. We're to pray for our local, state, and federal leaders. Whether we agree with their policies or not, we're to pray for them. And I know some of you get mad and you get upset, and I do too, but what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be praying for them. How often have you prayed for our leaders? How often have you prayed for the president or his staff or his cabinet to make godly, righteous, and wholesome decisions? It's our duty before God to pray for these folks as they're the preservers and instruments of peace on our behalf. We're told this is good and it pleases God. Isn't it interesting here that Paul instructs Timothy to pray for these folks at a time when there were no Christian rulers or leaders anywhere in the world? Dear friends, I cannot emphasize this prayer enough. I cannot emphasize it. We all know 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, and what? Pray. Then he says he'll heal. But the question is, are we praying? We have a men's prayer meeting every Saturday. This place ought to be standing room only, but only a dedicated few gather. We have 24-hour prayer vigils, and it's like pulling teeth to get people to sign up. Now, I know you could pray on your own, but I'm asking you, do you? Do you? Are you asking God to bring a spiritual awakening to our land? Are you asking God to show you what you need to repent of and reveal to our fellow citizens what they need to repent of? Are you asking God to bless and lead and give godly counsel and wisdom to our leaders? So first, as believers, we should remain diligent in prayer. And our concern should concern everyone. Secondly, as believers, our hearts should be concerned for everyone. Look at verse 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to be saved, and so should we. In other words, the reason the church is concerned for everyone is because God is concerned for everyone. This means we are to be concerned not just with those who are attend our church, but we should be concerned with people who attend other churches, those who don't attend any church or those who used to attend church. This means we're concerned with those who hate us or malign us or talk about us or put us down. This means we're concerned with those that we disagree with or seem not to be able to have fellowship with. This means we're concerned about those who can't make it to church because they're sick or physically or mentally infirm. God wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. There should be no limits of our effort to reach out to those folks. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, said this, The church is the only society which exists for the benefits of its non-members. Oh, that we could get that. Regardless of what is happening in the political climate or social fabric of our country, you and I must stay on task. Regardless of how difficult or imposing the opposition to our message, we must continue to reach out in love to those around us. 
So secondly, as believers, our hearts should be concerned for everyone. A third thing here, as believers, our message should concern everyone. Verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. The church's message should concern everyone. And what is this message? That there is one mediator between God and mankind or humankind, the man Christ Jesus, or the other, in other words, the human Messiah, Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. It's not enough for Paul, as Paul writes here, to just affirm there's one God. There's a mediator between God and humankind. His name is Jesus. And what God has done for us in Jesus is not for just a select few for us. He did it for everyone. And this is our message. He did not give his life for everyone but the Jews. No. Romans 1.16 tells us it was for the Jew first that he did this. He didn't give his life for everyone but the Muslims. No, he wants to reach them as well. He did not give his life for everyone but the Democrats or the Republicans or you just fill in the blank. He, he did it for them too. Just because they disagree with you and just because they're on the opposite side of the political arena or whatever it might be, he loves them too. This church's message must be centered in what Jesus has done for us and his death and resurrection on the, from the dead. And no one is exempt from the possibility of being ransomed from their penalty of sin and their life of sin. What can you do? Pray yes. Love yes. Preach yes. But do something in the name of Jesus Christ as he leads you. If not you, who? And, and I'm not being flippant. I'm being serious. If not you... Who's going to do it? There is nobody else. Nations come and go. Political leaders come and go. Institutions come and go. God and his word abide forever. And because of this, you and I should throw ourselves on the mercy of God. You see, it's only by his mercy that his hand is going to be stayed. You know, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And as we pray and as we act, let us throw ourselves on his mercy that he will hold back from what we deserve and work for a spiritual awakening that will turn this nation back to him. That was Dr. Beach with today's message. For more information on this message and this ministry, please visit awordfromthelord.org. There you will find today's message and previously aired messages, where you can listen to them again and share them with friends and family. Awordfromthelord.org has audio archives of Foley Beach's one-minute radio feature and much more. So visit awordfromthelord.org for audio, articles, and information about the ministry. You can find A Word from the Lord on Facebook, and be sure to click the Like button to follow our feed on Facebook. You'll want to be sure to visit Foley's blog at bishopfoleybeach.blogspot.com. 
On the blog, you can read the many articles posted by Dr. Beach. Many of these blog entries are excerpts and full articles published in local publications. You can also follow Foley on Twitter. His Twitter address is twitter.com at Foley Beach. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by email at foleybeach at a word from the Lord dot org. Again, his email is foleybeach at a word from the Lord dot org. You can contact us by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Our mailing address again is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A Word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through the continued prayers and loving financial support from you. And we thank you for this opportunity to spread the hope of the gospel of Christ through this ministry. Join us again next time for the next broadcast of A Word from the Lord. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.